Envision yourself in a halo of glowing white light. It will protect you. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. It is so great to be here with you. My name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 323. If you're listening to this, a time of release and are in or will be in the LA area Friday, Saturday, Sunday, June 3rd through 5th. We're going to be at Monster Palooza going down in Pasadena. It is a spectacular convention, a true celebration of horror and the art of special effects, monster making, and the horror lifestyle. With over 450 exhibitors, a monster museum, makeup demos, celebrity guests, and more, we always leave broke. And we always leave inspired. Tickets at monsterpalooza.com. We can't wait to see you there. And if you are there, please come up and say hi. We would love to hang with you. Speaking of hanging out, this time around you are doing just that with the multi-award winning Guinness World Record holding creative genius, Mr. James Wan. Crawl inside the imagination of the purveyor of the art of the scare in celebration of the 4K Ultra HD release of his Gonzo Giallo slasher masterpiece, Malignant. Pull back the curtain and dive headfirst into the story collaboration between Akela Cooper, Ingrid Bisou, and himself. Dissect the wild camera shots, insane action sequences, practical effects fun, and so much more. James is an absolute delight to listen to, as you can hear the passionate horror fan inside of him in every mischievous giggle in talking about this amazing film. Episode 323 is the magic of James Wan. Oh, and a quick warning. If you haven't seen Malignant yet and you want to keep the surprises intact, stop right now, check out the film first, then come back to us as there are spoilers ahead. And if that doesn't bother you, let the screaming begin. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No, but I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders as they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Happy birthday. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a visionary storyteller whose imagination, passion, and talent has changed cinema, and that's undeniable. Beginning in 2004, his first project was directing and co-writing Saw with his friend Lee Whannell that has since grown into a world of nine films. Not only is the most successful horror franchise in the world, but sparked an entire new aesthetic and approach to visual storytelling and music even. In 2011, he directed Insidious, the film that very much paved the way 
for its modern renaissance, for the whole genre, widening the demographic, reinvigorating the haunted house trope and reminding us how powerful our own minds are by being evoked by sound design and suspense. In 2013, he ushered in a movie that transformed the theater. An R-rated picture beating out massive studio summer films that dwarfed its budget with sheer atmosphere and terror. Then having the foresight to go against the grain and not follow its success up immediately with a direct sequel, but by going to veer off and to spin into prequels, building an entire universe among them, Annabelle and The Nun, now including eight films that have defined a decade and have become the highest grossing horror film franchise of all time. He has since made the highest grossing DCEU film with Aquaman and the 36-time award-winning Guinness World Record holding Furious 7. His latest creation is the completely unexpected and gleeful gore-soaked giallo slasher that absolutely rocked us all this past year about a woman tormented with visions of murders it's now available on 4K Ultra HD. It is malignant, and we are honored to welcome its director and co-creator, the man, James Wan. Yeah! yeah. yeah. Hey, thank you. Well, <laughs> what an intro. Well, thank you so hey, much man. for that. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and on behalf of horror fans everywhere, yes. thank you for all that you continue to do. So, first yes. question, real easy one. Where did it all start for you? What are a few of the films that you first experienced that turn you into a horror fan? I would say that um, it was most likely the fact that my parents took me to see um, Poltergeist when I was eight years old. And I had that movie, it scarred me ever since. <laughs> Terrified of haunted houses and especially creepy clown dolls. Um, if you guys can't already tell, I have a weird fascination with creepy dolls. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that um, the creepy clown doll in uh, Poltergeist had scarred me when I was a young kid. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> makes nice. sense. So let's talk about the roots of Malignant and its story, beginning with a woman who up to this point had written for American Horror Story, Grimm, some Marvel TV shows and the spectacular film Hellfest that we all loved. How did you first meet Akela Cooper? I, uh, I met Akela um, when we worked with her on Megan. Uh, which is another one of um, uh, our uh, <laughs> evil doll movie that uh, that is yet to come out. Um, and that was when I, you know, I, we, when we worked with her and, uh, and I was, you know, really kind of taken to her writing. I love the script that she turned in for Megan. And uh, and when Ingrid and I were looking for someone to help us sort of flesh out um, our ideas for Malignant, um, Akela was definitely the first people that we went to, we wanted a very, um, we, we knew that we wanted a female writer on it just because we felt malignant has a, uh, has a very sort of feminine female quality to it. And that was something that was important for us to find a female horror writer, if you will. Oh, for sure. And I mean, the mantra of the film, my mind, my body, my everything is very empowering and a lot of uh, incredible subtext well, as well. Crazy enough. It's even more relevant. It, today than right. they happen, so yeah 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 so tell us yeah. about that process that you went through with ingrid and akela on flushing out the story concept and sort of designing the experience that you wanted to build for the audience because it is a very unique one for sure so uh, after aquaman i knew that i didn't want to jump back into another big budget movie i i, I knew i wanted to you know go back and play in the horror genre in the space that I feel comfortable with, or, or I should say in a space that I just love. And, uh, and I was looking for story ideas. I knew I didn't really want to 
you know, remake an existing IP. I'll go do a sequel to any of the movies I've uh, I've created in the past. I knew I wanted to do something original, something that was different. But at the same time, I wanted to do something that allows me to hug back to all the movies I grew up loving. Right. So, uh, so my, my love of eighties horror films, whether they're from America or from Italy or from Asia or anywhere in the, around the world. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to play with prosthetic effects. Um, that was something that I have touched a little bit on, on all my past movies, but never played with them to the level or to the extent of malignant. And so it was a combination of once and a combination of, um, you know, um, of, of, yeah, of wanting to do different things. And uh, they also accumulated into this one project. And, and so when Ingrid pitched me um, the original idea of, um, of an evil teratoma stuck to the back of, of, a, of this poor kid, uh, it kind of fired my imagination and it got me thinking about a potentially new villain that I haven't quite seen before, at least not to this level. And, and it allows me to, uh, to, you know, play with all the different things I wanted to play, which was to tell a, a, a Giello-esque murder mystery, um, to do a little bit on, on the body horror aspect of it. And, uh, and at the end of the day, just, you know, go crazy. I, I, it's funny, I kind of have this reputation for making bloody gory horror, horror movies, but I actually have not. If you go back to and watch my original Saw, it wasn't a very gory movie. And, uh, and so I thought, no, what the hell? If that's what people think of me, maybe I should try something in that space. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the first things that the viewer notices is this incredibly unique score by longtime collaborator, Joe Bashara that almost always veers left when you expect it to veer right tonally throughout this entire piece. And he just sideswipes everything with this fantastic pulsating electronic theme out of nowhere. It's got vocalization on it, too. What was the kind of the concept behind the sonic personality of this film and working with Joe? You know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with just the spirit of wanting to do a Giallo movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you guys know very well that Giallo films have visuals that go one way and a soundtrack that goes completely the opposite way. <laughs> right. I remember watching, you know, like early, uh, early on in, 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 you know, in my youth watching, you know, a classic Agento movie and go, wow, I'm watching a really scary, creepy moment but he's blasting this rock score from, from the right of screen. <laughs> and it was just this really sort of like almost alienating effect, but it created its own effect. Right. It made it really cool. And, uh, and so, you know, I guess, you know, in the spirit of wanting to do something similar like that, um, I think Joe really embraced it. And so we really just, I really pushed him down that path to go electronica and, uh, and to not be afraid to, uh, you know, be as bombastic as we want it to be because you know everything about malignant you know is very in your face even though thematically it deals with themes that are you know very strong and, and very um uh, um very relevant uh, in today's world but but you know but visually and sonically i felt like we can have fun with it and go nuts Leo, you had a question about one incredibly nuts scene in particular. Yes. <laughs> that police station scene in the in the uh, third act with Gabriel is so wild, man. And it's shot with a very wide angle lens, uh, capturing action left and right and all around. What were some of the challenges in the choreography and bringing that scene to life? <laughs> 
it, well, we, Ingrid and I knew we wanted to go into this movie, start kind of small, but keep building and building towards a very explosive third act climax, right? And so, um, so we, we, we kind of knew roughly where we wanted the film to go, and we really wanted to just unleash hell with Gabriel. And, uh, and, and when, you know, when we worked on the story and eventually the idea that um, Madison uh, is arrested, and we, we just knew that we got to have a scene where, where Gabriel in his sort of twisted way helps medicine out by, uh, by, you know, by breaking her out in the most Gabriel way possible. <laughs> and, uh, and, and what that meant is it really allows me to, uh, to go nuts and, and do my version of, of a John Wool shootout. <laughs> but, right. but it's almost like John Wool via, you know, Dario Gento. Right. The Boo Crew will be right back. I am preparing to perform an operation that for over 20 years, every doctor has refused to perform. You will come face to face with Basket Case. You'll be the judge of my success or failure. Nurse, slip on my specially designed surgical mask. Dr. Cutter, I beg you one more time. Please ask for another nurse to assist you. It's too late now. The patient has been sedated. He's awake! different twist in horror to keep the blood off your face a free specially designed surgical mask will be provided for every patron entering the theater don't dare enter without your mask That's so great. Malignant has the most incredible props and prosthetics. Did you keep anything from the production? Are you a collector of your own props? I, I am a collector. Uh, yes. Um, I didn't start out that way, but uh, but I remember uh, sort of early on when I was chatting with, you know, uh, with Eli Roth and, and, and seeing the stuff that he was collecting. I was like, oh, my God, I need to keep stuff from my own movies. I mean, why don't I keep stuff from my own movies? And so since then, I have uh, started keeping and collecting props and, uh, and, and, you know, just little things from, from all my work. And, and yes, Malignant has a lot of cool stuff that, uh, that I wanted to, uh, to display. I have a room at my home that I call the curiosity shop or the curiosity room that, uh, that I, I keep, you know, mo- uh, I keep, where I keep my props. Oh, that's oh, awesome. That's so what, what from nice. Malignant in particular, did you, did you walk away with? Um, the, uh, the, the, the guys at Spectral Motion were very nice to give me an animatronic um, Madison Gabriel oh, head. No way! Yeah. No way. So I, I have a version <laughs> nice. of it at home. I have um, his leather jacket or her leather jacket. Yeah. Um, their leather jacket. Um, and, and also I have the um, the the, the blade. Yeah, that is yeah. so yes. cool. Yeah. So what? Are, I'm curious. So what are the mechanics of? I mean, you got young young Gabriel. Is that a fully animatronic puppet? That version of Gabriel. Yeah, I mean, you know, we use all kinds of practical effects to bring Gabriel to life, right? And yes, and we have the adult Gabriel version, and then we have the kid version of Gabriel. The the, the kid version of Gabriel is a full animatronic puppet. That is literally, you know, placed on the back of our young actor, and um, 
and, and brought to life that way on, on McKenna. And, you know, and so she, she would sort of sit there in, in, in a costume and, uh, and behind her would be this animatronic. And, you know, she would go through the makeup process of having a young Gabriel attached to her back and, you know, with cables running down her back, you know, to like, you know, to all these puppeteers of camera just pull, pulling levers and pressing buttons. Um, so that, that was for the young Gabriel uh, that we see in the flashback. And, uh, and for the adult Gabriel, it was basically played out by... Uh, uh, play, it was brought to life by a bunch of different um, d- different sort of um, 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 aspect. You know, like we, we had a, a full animatronic head of Gabriel that can kind of articulate in the craziest way. You see Madison's face, or I should say Annabelle's face on the back of Gabriel, um, or rather I should say Gabriel on the back of Madison. Sure, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so that has like tons of um, articulation to it. And then we have sort of a simpler version that we would put on um marina who is the amazing incredible sort of um physical body performer that brought gabriel to life that did everything in reverse that was the crazy part was when i was designing the film in pre-production i thought i had to do you know come up with a lot of filmmaking tricks to do all the reverse stuff but when we found marina she was capable of doing everything in reverse. Wow. She, did, she did all the fighting backwards and, you know, like literally blindly, you know, like grabbing someone, hitting someone all in reverse. And it was mind blowing. And it really freed up my filmmaking to shoot it in a way that I wouldn't have been able to shoot if I was trying to hide cables or if I had to do this, uh, you know, if I have to reverse photography or whatever, um, I didn't have to resort to any camera trickery at all. It was oh, amazing. And it, for that reason, it comes across so unsettling when yeah. you realize, oh my God, everything is being done <laughs> backwards. Dude. Backwards, yeah. <laughs> Leo, yeah. speaking on that, you had a great follow-up question, Leo. Yeah, were there uh, any scenes that didn't make the final cut that couldn't be filmed due to complexity or budget? Um... I actually cut up a lot of scenes uh, that I had shot because I felt it gave away the ending too much. Wow. <laughs> sure. Sure. And so, uh, so, so those were the scenes that I, 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 I dropped out and, uh, and there were a lot of sort of character stuff too, that I felt, you know what, I think, you know, I, I want to sort of hone the movie in more, be more sort of um, about the murder mystery. And so I, I took out a lot of stuff that I, that I felt wasn't necessary for the movie. And, um, and, and ultimately that I felt, gave too much away Mm. the visual mechanics of this story are astounding too you do things like throw a camera through a a peephole or from inside a washing machine or inside a vcr where did those ideas come from for you i mean those are just the kind of stuff i like to do i'm always trying to find interesting new ways to to tell my stories you know whether it's at the script or concept stage or it's in through my filmmaking um i want to create you know um sort of um I want to create, I want to put the audience in the psychological space of, of Annabelle slash Madison as much as I possibly can. And so I try to find, you know, interesting way to sort of show the psychology of what the character is going through. There's a stunning shot following Madison running up the stairs and that incredible camera shot from up above following her up two stories. How did you design that shot? <laughs> you know, uh, it was actually it was not easy, obviously, and uh, I, I, I knew that I wanted a chase through the house, or at least she thinks she's been chased by something, right? To kind of be done all in one shot, but do it in a, in a way where we haven't quite seen it been done before, and uh, 
and really, and at the same time, uh, you know, this is a bit of a spoiler, but anyway, everything's a spoiler right now, right, I'm right, sure. Right. But, uh, but the, you know, the idea here is um, Gabriel is living upstairs in the attic, um, rent-free, if you will. And so I thought, you know, a bird's eye view, following her, watching her, is the best way to sort of convey that. You know, I, I sort of planted seeds early on that, um, that Gabriel you know, sort of thematically is living upstairs in the attic, but it's also living upstairs in her head, right? And so I thought with that camera work, it best sort of represented, um, uh, best represented what was going on um, in her head and around her. Uh, and one of your camera operators, BJ McDonald, is an absolute genius and filmmaker in his own right. He's been with you on yes. countless projects. What does having a guy like that on your team do to kind of empower and facilitate that creativity on set? Well, firstly, I just want to say I love BJ. We all love BJ. He's like the coolest dude ever. Uh, he's such such a cool guy. And uh, it's great. It's great to have, you know, like crew members, cast members that love the kind of movies we make. And, and so the good thing about working with someone like BJ is I can reference movies and he gets it. You know? <laughs> I can reference, you know, like some really obscure film from like the 1970s that, you know, most people may not have heard of, but uh, but he, he would know. He's like, oh, yeah. I know that thing that they did and so and so and so it's cool and really malignant is me wanting to go back and work with just people I like, mm. you know, because filmmaking is freaking hard. It's uh, it can be very torturous and um, and you should it should be fun. And, uh, and I just want to work with, you know, good people. How did you come up with the fact that Gabriel speaks with electronic frequencies and through radios and things like that? Well, that really stemmed from the fact that um, I needed to hide his voice, right? And, and, and I need to sort of um, slay of hand to kind of make the audience think that maybe Gabriel is a supernatural entity, yeah. And uh, and which he kind of is, right? And that's what he he is, even though he is, you know, f- a, a physical thing person. Um, at the end of the day, I really wanted to say he is a character who is has supernatural powers, but yet he is still beholden to this person that he's stuck to. So for all the powers that he has in the world, he's able to make medicine do all this crazy thing. But at the end of the day, he lives a symbiotic life and he is beholden to his sister. And I think that makes his character very jaded and very bitter that, uh, that, you know, that he has been reduced down to nothing. And, um, and I just think, you know, that's like another thing that makes this him an interesting villain. Definitely. And what about landing on the perfect voice for Gabriel? Was that an exhaustive process? Did you go through different iterations of finding his actual voice? Yeah, we did a lot of casting to find, you know, um, the, the right actor that can voice Gabriel that kind of understood it. And, um, and, and, you know, and, you know, and actually very early on, Gabriel spoke more. And so we, we kept coming back more and more just, you know, the less he spoke, the more you know, obviously more mysterious he is. Um, and then, and also sort of, sort of finding the tonality of like the raspy electronic voice that would come out of the radio as well. Right. Right. And fan theory did, does Gabriel actually win? Does Gabriel actually win in the end? Is this, uh, is she in the prison at the end? Is she in the prison? Well, you know what? Um, that is up to the audience to tell us if there is a sequel or not. <laughs> we explore that if there is. Oh, another you know, so Leo will give you the last question, man. Go for it. 
<laughs> Our friend Mike Mendez. We didn't see him die. Can we expect him in the sequel? <laughs> you know, I'm going to keep him alive just to find new ways to torture him. Maybe he can be like, but he can be Bruce Campbell to my Sam Raimi in some ways. I don't think. Uh, yes. I think I think Mike would be very honored to to play that role. Yes, <laughs> That's a great yes. answer, man. All right, James, we're getting the wrap up signal. Thank you so yes. much for your time. It's been yes. an honor. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for making kick-ass stuff all the time, man. We appreciate it yeah, so much. Man. Yes. Thank yeah. you, guys. It's been so much fun talking to you guys, and we'll do it again. Bye-bye. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 323. Special thanks to our guest, James Wan. Follow him at Creepy Puppet on Instagram. The time of release, get Malignant on 4K Ultra HD right now, also on digital. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 